Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's kind of fun. You know, normally doing any film or TV show takes at least two years of your life. A podcast, you you can bust out in like a week. So it's nice. Yeah, that's the great thing is like, I feel like, how do we get so many of these done? And then you're like, it's a conversation. <laughs> we do, it's like, it feels like you're producing, co- you are producing content, but it's like, yeah, we just, we talked to some guys for an hour and a half. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> right. there, that's definitely the, the low hanging fruit approach uh, that we found when we did our companion podcast to McMillions, we did it very much conversational wise. We had <clears throat> yeah. a subject from our show come on and, and we just cut it down a bit and we had some excerpts and some some deleted scenes that we had in previous that that we wanted to include uh for the big con podcast i i think we just we we have, we kind of went in the opposite direction we just said hey let's do this for like highly produced companion piece that's narrative and it was like doing the whole documentary all over again and mm. it's been an enormous amount of work it's, it's been a totally different approach. I think if we would have known, uh, we just would have done what we did on McMillan. It's possible. But even then, I mean, if I did a, a, I, I wrote an entire two seasons of a fully scripted audio drama with uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Lawrence Tate, this amazing cast, and hour-long episodes. Um, first season was 10 episodes. It took us two really relaxed, leisurely weeks to record 10-hour-long episodes. It was amazing. So even there's still, you know, not having to do hair and makeup, I think helps not having to light, not having to deal with cameras. That's true. Um, yeah. Comp- well, I think when you compare it to either making a, a scripted project or if you compare it to making a documentary, it is far easier yeah. to put it together. And you've, but it's a different style of, of storytelling. We found that with the most recent podcast that we've been doing for the big con, there are just, there are certain things that work here that would have never worked in the television um documentary series mm. and it's just the the pace of uh backstory some of the additional context that we're providing for our story and about our subjects uh it would just like and we've and the thing is like we actually tried it we like some of these things that we tried in the documentary series we were like oh yeah this just doesn't work or it slows us down like actually works so well in, in the podcast. And it's, um, it's been a really interesting experiment the way that we've been putting to the, this podcast together, because it's a true companion that expands on the documentary series, but it's a, a true narrative and it, they don't cannibalize each other. Like we're not really saying the same, we're kind of talking about the same story, but we're expanding on the story from the documentary series. I don't know. We were, we're here to talk about movies, yeah, Brian. We're not, we're not here to talk about that. But, uh, <laughs> but do you do you think check it the, out? Do you think the podcast would work for people who aren't familiar with the series? We did design it in a way where you could listen to the podcast and and know the entire story and learn a lot and really get the you know, full handle of what it is. But there's just nothing that can replace the visuals of seeing Eric Seacon in real life and that is, that is some of the colorful characters that worked for him and and people that we're involved in this whole thing. It's, it's just something that needs to be seen to believe. I mean, Eric would create all these crazy commercials. He would just flood the area with these commercials and billboards. And it just, it needs to be seen to believe, be believed. And there was this one point where Eric and his, his uh, best friend, Dr. Don who's this local radio DJ. They decided they were going to create their own travel TV show where they just, travel around the world and try to pick up on women and uh, they filmed it and that's actually in the series and you definitely have to see that stuff to really believe it mm. should, should we should we tell people who they're t- i mean i think we better we give pretend them a, they don't we, know we better give them a hint
we're really psyched to be um, talking to James Lee Hernandez and Brian Lazard, who are the uh, creators of the new Apple TV docu-series, uh, four-part docu-series that's out now called The Big Con. Um, and if you live in Appalachia or, you know, my God, if you've ever, I suppose if you've flown over it, you might not have noticed the billboards. But other than that, <laughs> uh, you have seen an Eric C. Con billboard. And um, even in Vegas, apparently, a friend of mine was telling me, like he, he branched out. And um, it's an amazing story. And I don't want to say too much about it because outside of the fact that it's an incredible kind of crime story and it feels to me, it's like, by the time it's done, it's a, it's a great and really kind of moving and yet still kind of an Elmore Leonard kind of, kind of movie that you'll have watched. Um, but there are twists. It doesn't go quite where you expect it to go. You're not going to end up feeling about these characters at the end, the way you do at the beginning. I think it's safe to say. And honestly, when I was sitting here and I was watching, it was like, I not only wanted to get you guys on for the usual reasons, I'm also like if, if even one of our listeners watches it and is compelled to get involved with the folks who are doing the good work that needs to be done in the aftermath of this story, that would be amazing. Um, long-winded introduction. Uh, but anyway, th- thank you guys for coming on. Um, they also made the doc uh, McMillions, which is, which is wonderful as well. And uh, we were thrilled to... Uh, have them come on and not talk about their work with us. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having us. I mean, we're uh, we're massive fans of both of you, and it's really an honor to to be invited to uh, just hang out and chat movies. Yeah. Well, we figure you've been talking about your work for a long time, uh, as everybody does when they're hawking something, and maybe it might be nice for you to talk about somebody else's work. Exactly. <laughs> hey, they should. We should have Joe someday. We should have somebody just come on and talk about us. That would be great. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, but no, thank you. And I let us know. Would, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I said, let us know. We're, we're happy to do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, we could have uh, that actually, now I'm a little upset at myself that I didn't go that meta with like thinking like, okay, our 10 movies are from you guys. And that's, we're going to talk about those <laughs> only. <laughs> Might be hard to drum up, drum up excitement for some of them. Oh, <laughs> there's some good ones in there, Joe. But no, it was fun because we, we chatted a little bit the other day and, um, uh, you said something really interesting that, that, uh, cause you know, sometimes people just come in and talk about their favorite movies. And sometimes we try to have people come in and talk about movies on a theme and so forth. But you talked about when you were making this film and when you make your docs, um, cause I think I said, you know, like the obvious one would be like, how about your 10 favorite documentaries? And, uh, you said, but you don't, you don't think about documentaries when you're making one of these, right? Is that, I mean, t- tell me what you tell, tell them what you told me. I thought it was really Yeah. I mean, no, that's, that's correct. Um, James and I come from a deep passion for uh, scripted projects. And the, whenever we, even for McMillions, when we were making that and, and definitely here for the big con, we always talked about scripted projects, um, movies that were huge influences as our entry point for you know, creative discussion for tone, for style, for our approach. And that's even, even in terms of, um, you know, the, the type of feeling that you get at the end of some of these movies, uh, were some of the triggers for what we wanted to experiment with here. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause it is, uh, uh, it, it does make you think of, of, of great movies when you're watching it as opposed to just great documentaries. Um, for, for what it's worth, but yeah, well, let's, let's talk about some, do you guys kind of break them up or however you want to just like jump in? Let's who, who wants to go sure. first? And well, I, out I, I think that first of all, we, we were, we were excited by this invitation to talk about some crucial movies that influenced us. And we, we had a really hard time to narrow it down as, as, and by the way, I, no, I've never heard that before. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I actually hate, uh, like top lists, right? When people are like, oh, what's your favorite song or your favorite movie? Sure. Like, I, I, I have like a visceral reaction to that. Uh, yeah. Personally. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I don't, I don't mind them personally. <laughs> uh, I mean, because I, I for me, it's oh, like, I, them. there's, yeah. diff- I have, I have different feelings, different times and it kind of comes and goes and it, they're clustered different things. But I think we narrowed down 10, five from each of us. And, and there's definitely overlap here, but 
these were films that we thought were not only crucial to shaping our influences uh, as filmmakers, but were definite, definite discussion points when making the big con. And we figured that would be the ideal way to put these uh, 10 movies out there for us. Awesome. Um, yeah, well, well, let's, let's, let's pick one and begin. I, I think the first one to start with, and, and I, this is one of, uh, I mean, these, this list could easily have been like my top movies of all time. Um, but one that we really drew a ton of inspiration from is, uh, I guess we'll start off with the big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Like the, when we first had the meeting with HBO about McMillions, uh, we were talking to the, the Lisa and Nancy who run HBO Docs, and we they they tried to narrow down. Okay, so what what doc is this like? And we really couldn't find anything because part of the pitch was it's going to be true crime doc. It's going to be about basically like this big fraud. Nobody really dies. Nobody's wrongfully accused and jailed for twenty years, and it's going to be funny. So the only thing we could point to was a Coen Brothers movie. Like th- this is the type of really interesting, quirky characters sure. that are funny just because of their decision-making. We're not making fun of them. We're just allowing them and their decisions to be funny and having a very serious moral undertone. And that was really the only way that we could describe it that made sense. Yeah, I can see that. Yes. I should also point out, though, we did not take the title, The Big Con, uh, from the big Lebowski. Uh, we actually had a, a different title in mind for this for the better part of a year and a half, maybe actually, maybe even two years. What was that? It originally was going to be called Mr. Social Security because Eric C. Khan, that's what he called himself. All his bill, mm-hmm. billboards, all his commercials that always say Mr. Social Security, but because Apple TV Plus is worldwide, they don't know what Social Security is really outside of the states. So yeah, uh, it had to be a little bit of a, a wider I also, grasp. I also feel like it's one of those things where like it's it's not just lying on the table; it's like an elephant on top of a tiny little table. Like how how are you not going to get con into that? Somehow? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's all it's like it's so obvious you almost don't have a choice. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're we're really. We're big fans of uh, the title, so it worked out. Um, hey, it's great. It worked out yeah. quite nicely. Uh, it's good stuff. And yeah, you can see that too. I mean, um, and again, like I said, I also went to a lot of Elmore Leonard, especially as it got deeper into his story and kind of the the second half of, of the series, but it had that kind of that vibe. And um, yeah, or even somehow like the, the, uh, the James Bond ad that he recreates, um, that does feel very somehow Cone Brothers. <laughs> I mean, well, I, really I never left. left. I never left. <laughs> uh, love, however, though, that you picked up on how you feel about these characters at the beginning of the series is going to be different than how you feel about them at the end. And in a lot of ways, like that arc building is definitely inspired by great scripted projects. And we, we love that experience when you go into a movie and you see someone have that change, right? Uh, yeah. Where they grow as a character. And, and it should feel that way. I mean, in a documentary series, you, you know, we realize like Eric, we, we meet Eric kind of at one point in his life. And then at the end of the series, we were with him at a different, and he, he does change. And so do a few of the other characters in a lot of ways. But oh, very much so. It, yeah, I mean, my feelings about a lot of the characters on sort of either side of this thing change radically over the course of it. I would definitely say without giving anything away, I mean, what's interesting is that, you know, I remember being, it's, it's four episodes. Shit, we're talking about their work. We'll get back to you, to that in a minute, um, to the not, <laughs> to other people's work. But, you know, if, if you want, if you get to the end of the second episode, you're like, uh, okay, what's kind of what's left? And, for me, I was like, well, I would very much like to know about the people that he took in, but I can't think. And then you've got two more hours and everything that you believe about this thing is going to change. Um, and that feels fairly ballsy in a miniseries. I feel like in a two-hour movie, it's like, I'm invested. I'm here for an hour. But but in something where people are going to, well, I guess they're they're binging, but, you know, where they're like, oh, my God, it's, please do stick with it. Because if you think it's one thing, it, it's not. It really isn't. Um, and that's something I really loved about it. 
Oh, well, thank you. I, it is something that we, you know, we obviously, as, as you guys know, like we, we go over story time constantly. We're just always, always messing with it. And there was a version where we meet the claimants and, and, you know, see some of the fallout at the very beginning of the, the entire show. But a thing that we wanted to do was like Brian said, like flip your idea of who yeah. Eric is and what happens with all of this. And also Eric is just such a big, larger than life character. We wanted you to feel the same way that people in the area felt. Cause for a long time, yeah. Eric was a hero. He yeah. was helping people get benefits that needed them. And then over time they started to be disillusioned and start to realize what was actually going on. And we wanted people to experience that same roller coaster that people in the community went on. Yeah, no, and you, you definitely pulled it off, but, but enough, enough, enough. Let's talk about, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sorry, Joe. I, uh, <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, let's, let's, uh, what, what, um, what others? All right. Uh, Boogie Nights, uh, is oh, yeah. from, uh, yep. from a list of, I mean, we talk about Boogie Nights all the time, uh, just the tone and, and the world, the environment, the backdrop of that movie. Um, it's also one of those movies you can just watch over and over and over mm -hmm. again. It just, uh, even though it's a longer movie, the arc, the, the style, the, the, um, and just the, I mean, obviously the characters are incredible. Um, but some of the poppy influences, like at times where you, where it would jump away to like Dirk Diggler, right. Uh, when they're in the hot tub and he's like describing his name and it, you know, pops up under, uh, with fireworks, um, or the little, uh, mini, um, like ad that runs, um, you know, for, uh, for, for, for the, uh, for the porn movie. Right. Oh, right. right. The, right. the, like the mini documentary. Exactly. That, that, yeah. And they're watching it and loving it. But, yeah. um, so when I first, I, I, when I, I moved to Los Angeles in 2005 and, one of the first uh, experiences I had in like the few months that I was here is I, I met with Robert Ellswit and uh, I had loved that movie I saw in the theater and I, did, I had no idea. I, an old girlfriend was like, hey, you want to go see this movie Boogie Nights? I was thinking like some like Saturday Night Fever type um, movie <laughs> and it floored me. I was just like, you can do this in a movie? <laughs> it was like happiness in a way. Like when I saw that, I was like, ugh. I got, I love that movie, but it was, you know, you, you felt like, like I'd never seen a movie like that at the time. Well, it feels, you feel like you're part of a, part of like a community in a world that, um, you just sort yeah. of walk into and it's fully, fully formed with all these characters. I mean, you're, you're a fan of that Joe, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, that one seems pretty irresistible. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I love it. And again, you can, you can sort of see it. It's, it's like, it's that every character is distinct every character is interesting every character is funny without being mocked um yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i, I love that flex yeah and that opening shot is just incredible oh, yeah yes oh yeah <laughs> that closing one's a little startling too that's yeah <laughs> it just um there's just so many funny things and it, it, they just keep coming back and back like uh oh gosh, i gosh um the, yeah, I, we don't have to get into it, but I, I remember the, every single time, um, I'm tr trying to remember the character's name that she's always having sex with somebody. And, oh, it's uh, William H. Macy's wife. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and every single, it's like every scene that you see him in, uh, it's a recurring joke and it's hilarious, but you seeing his dis, the, like demise and see, seeing the effect that it has on him. Like at first it's like, Oh, come on. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse, but it's also hilarious at the same time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, um, yeah, cause it, it, yeah, that just goes from, from funny to tragic so quick. Uh, and, the, and, and that funny to tragic is at the root of a lot of the things that James and I are attracted to in these types of stories. Uh, McMillian's yeah. like our whole idea was, you know, how can you go from humor to tragedy in an instant? 
And mm-hmm. we, you know, certainly wanted to lean into that here as well. Uh, yeah, no, life, life seems to be able to do that really easily. And it does seem to be something that movies have a hard time with sometimes, I think. But yeah. uh, I think it's yeah. something movie executives have a hard time with. Ah, yes. Better, better <laughs> point. Correct. Correct. Um, yeah. yeah. That, that is something that we've really fought for. And uh, in general, I mean, it, it's really nice to be able to point to things now and say, like, you can watch McMillions, you can watch the big con and and see that shift, but it is a really difficult line to walk because you can very quickly become a mockery of yourself if you're trying to do that and you take this moment that's supposed to be very weighty and heavy. And we've all seen scenes that have that where it's pressure filled, it's serious, and you need to live in that moment, but they throw one little button joke at the end to relieve the pressure and you should actually like trust in your audience and and just trust in the idea of you just let that let that linger for a little bit like stay in stay in that world let people feel something so they understand how serious it is yeah uh no absolutely and um uh yeah and joe's right too of course you I mean, audiences can handle that it's it's just that uh it it often confounds the people who are uh, what would you say? Paying for it. Yeah, paying for it. That's the that's the ticket. Um, <laughs> oh, you're writing a check? Yeah, I'll I'll do that edit right now, guys. <laughs> I mean, one of my favorites. I don't know. If you, there's an amazing uh, Bobcat Goldthwait movie called World's Greatest Dad. I don't know if you've. Oh, it's great. Yes. It. Yeah, and I mean, Robin Williams just gives the performance of a lifetime in there. And there's a scene in that movie, and I don't want to spoil it, where Robin Williams has to just react to the most horrifying thing a a, a father could ever have to deal with, and he pours his heart out on film it's incredibly powerful and moving it's also screamingly funny at the same time yeah and right <laughs> i love that yeah. I love we're, we're fans yeah that's uh, a great movie we also we talk about windy city heat a lot oh man so uh, a, a, a lot of crazy oh. crazy coincidence is that uh when during the making of mcmillions we kept watching this this movie that bobcat goldthwait made uh called windy city heat and it was this crazy like mockumentary or documentary right. where him and his friends set up one of their friends who's very gullible thinking he's making the biggest blockbuster on the planet and they're just making fun of him the whole time. Mm-hmm. And we would always watch that going filming and, and talk about it. And Brian, and I would just laugh like hysterically at it. And then when it was time to do the recreations uh, for McMillions, we had uh, somebody suggest they're like, you got to talk to uh, this, this woman, Tasha. She's amazing. Like, you know, she like we think she'd really be perfect for you guys. And we met with her and it's a Bobcat's daughter. And so oh, yeah. we like got to meet Bobcat. He came to set one day when we got into Sundance. He came to the premiere at Sundance. It was like the full like circle life completing itself of of getting to meet him and talk to him after laughing at his movie so much. Yes. <laughs> I can't talk about um, that movie without falling over laughing <laughs> yeah no we've, we've been through we've had him on the show actually a couple times now and he's just been a, a wonderful wonderful yeah. guest a giant family cool well, let's let's uh let's do another one all right let's... back to the list all right so yeah, the, to... this next one really helped define i don't know in a in a certain sense the the slickness uh, in a way that we like to try and go and uh, go about things and just in general uh huge fan of the director uh, Ocean's Eleven, but the one from 2000, 2001 directed by Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, yeah, no, and, <laughs> I don't think anybody's I, ever it, brought up the original Ocean's Eleven as a favorite movie. I, it's, <laughs> it's not a favorite movie, but I like that movie. Do you really? I do. I think it's a lot of fun. It's definitely better I, than the some original of them. is great. I mean, it's the it's the Rat Pack at its peak, and it, I've had EO Eleven stuck in my head probably uh, since <laughs> I was a kid. And my, my my mom and grandma showed me that for the first time. Um, but with, in general, just with Steven Soderbergh's style, it's, it's yeah. fascinating because it's very smooth, very slick, but still feels very real. It doesn't feel like it's overly flashy. It doesn't feel like he's trying to force himself, uh, or, or his version of everything into your mind. You're just sort of there living in the moment, but in such a stylistic way. And that's that's a, a big influence on us for all of these things, especially when you're thinking about these frauds and these capers with all these different pieces that are involved in it. Um, and we put a lot of thought into just how we shoot the entire thing. Everything from in McMillions, we made sure that we shot people that were like involved with law enforcement, 
were shot slightly different than people that were shot uh, that were on the other side of the law. And the same thing with the Big Con. With the Big Con, we really looked at it as what we're dealing with Eastern Kentucky, an area that's often very forgotten because of you know coal country kind of dying. And how can we be very true to the area and show the beauty of it all while the mystery at the same time? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And it's also interesting too, uh, the way your visual representation of that area changes over the course of the series as well. Because again, without getting too far down, I'm sort of halfway through and I'm like, I've been there and they're making it look, they're sort of not showing us some of the things here. And then you start to see the kind of more kind of graphic realities of the poverty there. It's like, all right, they're doing this on purpose. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> we tricked you. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Well, cool. How about another one? Um, I'm sure this has been uh, brought up many, many times, but uh, not by you. Though, it. Okay, not by you. <laughs> that's okay. all that matters. That's all that matters. That's right. Uh, pulp fi- fiction is uh, still to this day for us one of those great high movies uh, that was so influential when it came out, but oh, yeah. still to this day is incredible to watch and rewatch over again. Um, it is such a fun ride. It's so brilliantly structured. Uh, the way he plays with time, the, you know, the, the tonality, the characters, just the, uh, the punchiness. Uh, it's like, it's one of those movies that like we, whether we want it to or not, it, (laughs) it seeps in and becomes an influence for, you know, how we approach things. I mean, Quentin Tarantino is, uh, I mean, for, you know, one of the best filmmakers, I I believe of our generation and, um, and just what he does is so unique in his style and his tone. And I remember when I first saw that movie in a theater, similar to, you know, Boogie Nights, I was like, what, (laughs) like, how, how do you even think of this? Like, how does this even come out of your brain? (laughs) Right. And, and I think that in sort of over the years and, you know, James and I spending the time that we do, you realize like just it's dedication, right? Yep. It's persistence. And it's just taking stab after stab after stab of trying to crack the story in the best way that you can think of that has a sense of originality and, uh, and, and fun. And, and that's, you know, in a lot of ways, at the root of, you know, what we like to do. And when we formed our company fund meter, it was really designed to focus on projects like this, even if they're not projects that we're solely directing, but in this case, obviously we were, we, we, we look at it as how how many different ways can we crack this open? How many different ways can we find that tone, that right balance of, of humor and tragedy how can we infuse a voice into this that we haven't seen or heard before and just challenge ourselves and each other to make this the best version? I mean, we, we had Eric Kahn's manuscript provided to us yes. exclusively for, for the document, you know, for us. And we immediately were like, <laughs> we're going to, we have to include this. We have to use as oh, much yeah. of this as humanly possible. And it, how often do you get to see the the true inner workings of a person like this this is yeah. really how he thought everything went some of it's true some of it is embellished some of it who knows if it happened right but it's it's very often i mean in general it's always really a thing that i i, I always think is crazy is the you think of like the human brain as a camera but actually your brain is just building its own reality at the time. So you're going to see things totally different than somebody else. And that's how he saw the world. And it was quite cinematic. So, you know, we were, we were very lucky to work with Boyd Holbrook who came in and actually read. So, yeah, the, he does an amazing, Boyd Holbrook does a great job reading oh. the, the manuscript. Yes. And a crazy thing about him is he is actually born and raised in this area of Eastern Kentucky. He's from Prestonsburg. Right. He grew up, you know, driving around seeing Eric Kahn billboards his entire life. Sure. And so like <laughs> to have him and he's such a phenomenal actor. And I mean, his voice, oh my God, just. Yeah. So he, he lived with the guy. character. He'd lived with the character for a while. Yes. Yeah. He, yeah. He <laughs> knew, he knew Eric. Uh, he didn't, he, he, I mean, he learned a lot from watching the documentary series that he didn't know, but 
I mean, that idea of including the manuscript was something that we hadn't really seen done before like this. Like we, we, you know, there, there was a Michelle McManera, um, uh, documentary, um, where like part of her book, right. Was, was read. Oh, uh, I'll be gone in the dark. I'll I'll be gone in the dark. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Yes. Right. And, and they had an actor read from that. And we, we've seen like different things being read before, but when we approached this, we, we didn't want it to be read. Uh, even though it was a manuscript, we, we approached it with Boyd as like, Hey, in not necessarily, not to mimic Eric's voice, but to really take you into this, like hanging out at a bar, everyone's kind of leaning in and Eric is telling a story. And yep. we really worked at trying to find that right voice and that right tone uh, for that spe- for each specific manuscript. And we also were like, is this going to feel weird? Like, we, I mean, for, it was part of the, the original pitch from the get-go. Like, we're going to include this manuscript. And we oh, were determined to, resource. To, yeah. to make it work. Um, but yeah. we didn't know exactly how, how we'd introduce it. We, you know, how it would feel next to other things. And, um, and that's, you know, going back to Tarantino, just like, you, you just have to keep trying things until you find the, yeah. the right, you know, just that right balance. And well, it's um, funny because actually people, that film hasn't come up a lot on, on the show, which is interesting to me. So I would assume it would more. Um, and actually before, and I have one thought because I love what you're saying about it and how it affected you before that, though, my wife would kill me if you didn't ask. Um, how, how do you know, did the dog make it back? Oh, yes. So the dog did make it back we, to We know to this? Okay. All right. Because that, yes. that figures heavily in uh, her. Um, the thing that drove me nuts during the sort of initial explosion of, of Quentin, you know, from Reservoir Dogs through to, to Pulp Fiction especially, was how many filmmakers took the lesson that what you need to do now is make movies about pop culture referencing hitmen wearing black suits and how few of them got the message that you're getting. You know, and that that you should make a movie that just includes everything you love, and you should find the best way to tell it. You could uh, you could immediately tell the people, obviously, who took the wrong lesson. I think from him because uh, <laughs> most, most and most of them aren't around anymore either. I think. Yeah, I yeah. actually there was an interesting story that uh, I heard Quentin talk about at at some point. I call him you know Quentin because we're buddies. Uh, actually, I think everybody calls him Q, but. Um, he he talked about how people told him his influence on movies and he didn't realize it. And he said, you know, in the movie Bad Boys, there's two guys, uh, there are two cops waiting on a stakeout to go inside and bust somebody. And they have this exchange about, like, I don't know, food or something random, like something on TV. And someone pointed out, like, that never would have happened or been allowed if you didn't make Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs because people now think that the, the extra character development dialogue is something interesting and it's not right. just all action and crazy stuff happening at all times. So uh, and it's, it's, it's interesting to have that kind of impact, which then brings me to another movie uh, by Quentin Tarantino. And this, this is referenced just in the sense that, uh, so Kill Bill is, uh, he thinks of it as one movie. It's the uh, volume one, volume two. Um, but the the influence for that, especially in the world of documentary, is that uh, nothing is off limits. That movie right. has color, black and white. It has unreal, phenomenal fight scenes. It's a Western. It has animation. You can go any direction with any different way to tell the story. And it really is an art form that can be bent and even rules can be broken from time to time. And that's something that Brian and I lean into very much where, you know, with telling these stories in a documentary, normally it's sit down interviews, verite footage and some archival. And you know, to the thing that we would like to do is put you there in the moment. We don't want right. you to just sit there and watch a story that was told about something 10 years ago and know that everybody made it out. Okay. I mean, outside of the person obviously sitting there telling the story. Uh, so we, we rely a lot on recreations, archival, uh, interesting, uh, fun stock footage, um, verite, just everything that we can to be able to put you in that moment so you can feel like you're a fly on the wall when all of this stuff actually happened. 
Yeah, and I, I love some. In fact, there were some shots where I wasn't even sure if they were recreations or just shots of, like, am I wrong? It's it's a great technique, and and you didn't invent it, but but you used it beautifully of doing kind of recreations where the camera's never quite on somebody's face, or they're always kind of out of focus, and you're using actors. But there are one or two shots where I wasn't even sure if it was part of a recreation or if it was just like one of the interview subjects, like getting up and walking off camera or something. But <laughs> it's just. Um, uh, I, you, you did a great job with those. They're, they're, uh, they're delightful. It's funny. There, um, I, there was a, a few people who, um, th- thought that our, um, Damien Paletta, who is the wall street journal reporter, um, right. that we use him in all of, uh, the recreations that involve him. And, uh, that's actually an actor. That's not that. <laughs> and, I think, yeah, he was one of the ones where I was generally, <laughs> I thought, okay, well, they're not having it. But you, you did in a way, like, I didn't notice that in scenes where the character was, quote, unquote, acting. I just sort of noticed in scenes where he was sort of standing somewhere and looking at something. I thought, oh, they just got him to do this. And, and But that's that's amazing. Yeah, he's a, uh, a, a almost dead ringer. <laughs> we Yeah, even our, our colorist, when we told him that, like, no, that, that's that's an actor he w- <laughs> who had been looking at this day in, day out, was was uh, surprised. <laughs> when, we, when we made... Um, and, and I really appreciate the compliment because we do spend a lot of time thinking about how to uh, really in, like integrate and connect archival and recreation. Um, and we, ha- we have a phenomenal production designer who we work with, um, uh, who worked with us on, on McMillions. And I always butcher her name, so James is going to do it. What? Who? Our production designer, Ar- Ariel. Oh, Ariel Nescohen. Yeah. See, I always want to say Khan. I thought you said him. I was like, Oh no, no. I always what? want to say Khan. Dustin? So yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, but Ariel, um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm so terrible with names. I'm on a first name basis with everybody. Cause I just, I can't, I can't retain that, uh, that half of, of people's names. And Ariel is phenomenal and will work with us so intensely at, um, ensuring that we have references from archival and re- and she comes up with such great creative inventive ways to make sure that it looks just like the archival um photograph mm-hmm. and one of the last scenes in episode 4 uh not to give anything away but he's in a he's in a restaurant and we have a, an archival photo and uh it just you know we we flash the photo but we have the archival you know the the re- recreations that we we film there and we were really she was really proud of it we were really proud of it and um, and we did something similar on, on McMillions and I think Munich was actually one of our oh, big yeah. in, inspirations for that because yeah, for sure. How, how, if you remember in Munich, there's a, there's a scene where the real archival is playing, uh, on uh, a television scene uh, on a, on a television of one of the terrorists who's popping his head out of the, 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 the window or the door frame, right. Of a balcony. Right. And, and then oh, you're seeing you had, a recreation outside that you're, right. exactly you're yeah, seeing yeah, yeah. the scene, Steven Spielberg, you know, just beautifully composed this shot where, uh, it, you know, it's timed so perfectly with the actor, uh, stepping out on this balcony, just as there's a live feed of the camera that's feeding into the newsroom or to the news station, uh, right. what's going on in that TV. And it's just a beautiful use of, you using archival with something that you shot and we, we love to do that in any way we can to like blend yeah. those lines and immerse you even more. Yeah, no, I, I love that technique. Um, actually. And, and Joe, they're, they're talking about their work again. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Uh, Can't all right, control okay. these. Okay. You just keep so, letting them slide back into it. I know. I know it's, um, it's getting out of control. All right. All right. Well, well, well you know, we'll, we'll stop. You know, or you bleep, can just, I'll just bleep out every mention of the documentary. You have edit yeah. control. So you can just That's cut, right. exactly. just cut all that <laughs> just stuff cut out. It down. Yeah. And pr- and pretty soon it's be like, uh, we're like, Ocean's Eleven, The Big Lebowski, Pulp Fiction. And, and yeah. thanks for we your We found these us, two guys. men on the street and we asked them what their favorite movies are. We hope them right. someday and they'll they make just a talk about themselves. We can, we can shotgun blast, uh, you know, the, the remaining. Uh. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're going to take a minute here and Joe is going to go off and chastise Brian and James, whip them into shape. Um, and I am going to uh, take advantage of this moment to thank our sponsors, our wonderful sponsors at MoviesUnlimited.com, who are the movie collector's website. 
Um, as you know, they're not just big fans of our show. They feature many of the movies we discuss here, so you can easily find them at Adam Deer Collection. Hard media, folks. Heck with streaming. You never know. You never know. They'll take it away from you. You get that little ball spinning. It's terrible. When you own your favorites, you'll watch what you want, when you want it, and there's usually a ton of great content and bonus features, director's commentary, deleted scenes, all sorts of goodness. Even screenwriter's commentary sometime. So buy your favorites at MoviesUnlimited.com. Uh, if you go to the Trailers from Hell website, you'll see their banner. Or if you go to MoviesUnlimited.com directly, you'll see the Trailers from Hell banner. And you click on that, find any episode, and there will be a list of all the movies we talk about on the show, linking to where you can get them at MoviesUnlimited.com. So click on that, go to their site, buy your favorites, MoviesUnlimited.com, the Movie Collector's website, where shipping is always free on orders over $50. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, um, Fargo, uh, we reference Fargo all the time, the tone, the, the, just the dark comedy and the ridiculousness of the characters. And that, I mean, it's, I don't want to say like it's a perfect movie, uh, but it's, it's, it's up there. (laughs) Yeah. That's, Uh, I love that film. Yeah. And you know, the fact that, you know, the, series the the series that kind of came afterwards that could just continue to build off of it was so impressive and yeah not to say that we were we were trying to do something similar with our companion podcast but uh you know there is this element of how you know the the world there as crazy as the world is there's so much more to explore um, right right in the world yeah and that, that's sort of one of the, I mean, it's, it's weird because it is sort of a, a, a dopey kind of like old Marvel comics conceit, but sort of, yeah, that's what that TV show did is sort of created the, the idea of a shared Fargo universe, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so next on the list, actually speaking of Steven Spielberg is uh, Catch Me If You Can. Um, oh, yeah. Catch Me If You Can is unreal. And the, one of the main things that I love about it is it is such a great balance of motivations, like mm-hmm. the intention and obstacles of it. But really, you you very much believe that Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Frank Abagnale, really was driven to live this life because of the way he was raised. You see that relationship that his father had with his mother. I mean, right. Christopher Walken, obviously phenomenal in that. And um, you... You see this then push pull relationship where you know Tom Hanks is hunting him down the entire time, and at a certain point you realize I, I, this is Frank Abagnale's only real friend. Like strangely, the person trying to hunt him down is his equal on the opposite side, and they're weirdly bonded. There, there, there's a, a a kinship there, even though you know Tom Hanks is just hell bent on on taking this kid down and uh you take that balance and it, it like all of the crazy hijinks of it and all the things he goes through just totally makes sense in a way that it doesn't seem farcical at all and i mean you know it is it is a true story um and it, it just like it, it's just great to see that it, it constantly has that connection to the motivation of it it all means something. It all, it all works for a reason. It's just not there for just fun and games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's funny. I'm we haven't talked about too much of the show, but I'm kind of a Spielberg skeptic about a lot of the time. A lot more than than some people are. I I I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, I love the ones you think I love, but um, I think that's I think that's one of his most underrated movies. But I was going to say that is that is one that I just I love unequivocally, um, and uh, uh, yeah, it's just a fantastic film, and, and really caught me unawares because, you know, I was like, oh, he's working with Tom Hanks again. It looked kind of slight. It's it's you know, I don't even think I, yeah, I think somebody dragged me off to see it. 
which uh, is all <laughs> yeah. the best. It's all the best way to see a good movie too, right? Oh, fuck, oh, so I don't want to do this. <laughs> but that, it's a it's yeah. a great point, and and that's really what I'm getting at is that on the surface, mm-hmm. it seems like a light and fluffy movie, but they're really serious, like father son mother son parent issues at at play that he's getting across within this entire thing and to the point where tom hanks all of a sudden becomes his father figure it's it's just a really interesting mind game that it it plays throughout the entire thing it's also one of the shorter shorter movies right clocks in only two hours (laughs) no i think i i think it actually is under i mean um I, I can't every time I, I I think of that movie, the score also just like immediately just plays in the background in my head. Mm-hmm. And I mean there's there's a lot of similarities to Frank Abagnale and Eric Kahn in the sense that there is this, you know, they they didn't have a lot of friends. Um right. but in in a lot of ways, like they couldn't help themselves, right? Um very intelligent. Uh, very charismatic and just like sometimes when opportunity is in front of you uh, what do you do with it? Right. You see how they did that? How they snuck back into their... I know. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, wasn't we'll me. be up all night. We'll be up all night. That is totally my fault. By the way, that movie I mean, is two hours and 21 that... minutes long. Entry, if you can. Is it really? Uh, yeah, that's how it good is. it is. That's how it good it is. Breezes it breezes right that. through those, those yeah. two hours yes. 21 minutes. I could have gone for two un, hours and 41 minutes. Munich. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Munich's a little long. Right. Uh, okay, next right. next up, uh, Delicatessen. Oh, uh, yeah. Genet. Yeah. I mean... I, 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 I'm, okay, so I get, I get that there's the, the whole sort of interesting community of uh, disparate and unique characters. Um, but from there, <laughs> <laughs> it's a fucking masterpiece. I love that movie. Yeah, I, it's it's one of those, <clears throat> one of those films. I think I I don't know if I saw it in in a theater or if I saw it on video. I had a roommate of mine that had that worked at this uh, small little indie uh, rental like movie house uh, in in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I where I grew up. And was his name Quentin? His name was, <laughs> and uh, and it was just one of those how like there's movies like this out there. Like at the time that I, I saw it, I had not, not personally lot. been. There aren't a lot. <laughs> there aren't a lot. They'd been exposed to it, and and it was like almost a little. Like I think I just like watched a Wallace and Gromit uh, uh, film mm. for the first time, and I was like, <laughs> "What is this?" And I, I just I it was like at that you know those you know formative years in university when you're just like you're learning a whole lot of new things, and and all of a sudden you experience a film like this. And the the humor, the the pacing, mm-hmm. the editing, it, it was actually, I, to me, one of those critical um, defining films that made me want to spend time as an editor. And, and I, I did for, for mm. a great deal of my career. And even James and I now still, like, uh, any of our projects, like, we're always in there cutting and working on the edit with the editors. Uh, it's just... And it's like part of, at least for me, especially, it's just part of how we shape story. So right. that movie, that movie, I, I love that movie. Yeah, so much, so much. And I've been such a fan of, of so many of the other films that he's done too. Even Same. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you only, you only gave us 10 though. So. Oh uh, well, yeah. yeah. What was the, um, oh my God, I was just thinking about the other day and I can't remember the title. Joe, what was his 3D movie that, uh, <clears throat> that Harvey butchered and fucked up? I love that we're allowed to say these things now publicly. <laughs> well, he's, in, um, he's in jail. He can't. He's in jail. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, oh my God. What was it called? It was based on a book. This is embarrassing. This is embarrassing. Oh, just look him up on IMDb. I am. I am. It's like, it's moving very slowly. And uh, I was telling these guys the other day that I have like a Wikipedic knowledge of film. And now I'm, it's like that 3D film he did, Young and Prodigious T.S. Spivet. <laughs> But, How did you was, just know was, that? That's like brilliant. I, like, I pulled these things, yes. Uh, no, but it, but it was, um, there was some kind of like Harvey was going to cut it, not release it in 3D. On, you know, and if um, somehow contractually, Janae was like, he, that, there was, that was one option is he would give it a bigger release if it wasn't in 3D. 
And if he got to cut it and if he didn't cut it, it would show in like one theater in LA for a week mm-hmm. and <laughs> God bless him. He, he said, fuck you to Harvey. And, uh, uh, I got to see it in the packed house 3d and it's like, it's a delightful film. I think the movie itself is probably not one of his strongest, but you know, it, a Junet film in 3d is like, of course you need to see that. Right. And I don't, I just, don't think Oh I... my God. Yeah. And he, and not to, I had no intention of doing this. Um, but, uh, uh, I do a podcast with Joe Dante, who also made a 3d movie, uh, called the hole. He hates when I do this, that if you do ever get a chance to see it in 3d, just it's, it's, if you have not, I don't know. I but definitely it, have seen it in 3d and I loved it. Ah, it's just so great to see somebody using that, um, that medium thoughtfully as opposed to just. Well, that didn't last long actually. Yeah. But you know, you got one in there though, Joe. That's well, that I got before, before they, before they started doing it all on computers. I mean, that right. the, the appeal for me was that I got to do it in quote, real 3d, real, 3D, real yeah, cameras yeah. and real 3d experts and stuff. But then I just shoot it and put it through the computer and uh, like, like we uh, do with the cartoons, it'll be fine. And that's, that's what passes for 3D then. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a, the ultra like frustrating thing about it is that um, nowadays it's if 3D is done, they shoot it like a regular, they shoot it 2D, shoot it, you know, composed for just regular 2D and they slice it all up and make it 3D. What you did was actually design shots in three dimensions, like for yeah. the form. Um, well, that's that what you're supposed to do. I mean, that's how yeah. I always thought it was supposed to work. I mean, that's that's uh, one of my favorite 3D movies was Dial M for Murder, which is a stage play. But it's but it's it's when you see it in 3D, it's not the same movie as it is in 2D because of the spatial relationships between the characters. And uh, yeah, the I, I mean, I love that. It's, it feels like you can reach your hand in and be in the world because yeah. as a kid yeah. growing up, you see the first thing I think of is Jaws 3D. And it's just, oh, now let's shoot this normal. And then like all of a sudden this this tooth is coming out towards your face and coming back in. It's like this, this like kitschy, I, I don't know, just like doing it just to say you did it. But um, right. yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Oh, there is an amazing shot of there. Somebody getting eaten shot from inside the shark's mouth. That True. Really True. I don't mean to shortchange that Someone shot. should do a doc in 3d. And then I realized and my friend, Eric Nelson, uh, uh, who produced it would kill me if I didn't, but of course, uh, Werner Herzog did cave. Yeah, which is, which is actually pretty cool in 3d. Yeah. So I, I actually, really worked on, I worked on the Katy Perry, uh, 3d movie. Um, ah, part of me. And we did that with Paramount and a lot of it was shot or at least the performance stuff was shot in, in 3d, but we did dimensionalize certain shots, uh, that had been shot in 2d or were, were, were incorporated and that process was such a, a fascinating one uh, sure. to to be a part of. But that was one of, I mean, aside from just wanting to work on a studio film at that time, uh, one of, being able to work in, in a, on a 3D project, I was super excited about. And it, it, I mean, that that's a great use in documentary. Uh, yeah. A concert, just nothing like watching sure. it in 3D. Well, let's say, yeah, yeah. I, uh, uh, I confess I have not seen it. I'm, I'm, I'm behind on my Katy Perry concert films, but I need to, um, uh, it's YouTube, really good. The I, YouTube I, concert I, film was great at 3d also. <laughs> you two concert film in 3d. Did they do one in 3d? Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. Um, whoops. Sorry about that. Uh, well, we're, we're, oh my God, we're, I'm being, I'm being told we're being close to the end. Jess, right, let's, we'll, uh, we'll go, we'll, we'll go super fast. We'll, here we'll, speed, more. we'll speed through right? the end of it. Although with a poster in the background of you, Josh, we should have definitely picked a, a certain, uh, James Bond movie since one of our character, yes. Khan, tried to turn himself to James yes. Bond. Although I personally would rather think of it more of like Pink Panther style. Like there's definitely Indeed. A, a Blake Edwards basically <laughs> influences any decision I make ever when it comes to film or yeah. TV or anything. Um, but uh, the last one on my list is uh, Goodfellas. And, you know, the, not familiar. the tough thing, uh, it's, it's just tough to not put it on the list because ultimately that's always my go-to favorite film because that was the first time I'd really seen anything uh, like that before. I mean, I, I'm half Mexican, half Italian. So my grandma and my Italian side, like made me watch that almost like I was watching like my family history somehow. I, I, I don't know who knows, but, um, 
you had to be able to see Scorsese, you know, manipulate time with starting off in the middle yeah. and then doing freeze frames and even the way that he shows uh, when when uh, Henry Hill's wife goes to visit him in prison and then she scans the book and the way that that's shot to see the name of uh, what Janice, the right, woman he was right. cheating on her with, like all of those things influence, uh, I mean, even in you know, constantly in, in documentary filmmaking, you're showing documents and like, how can you make documents look sexy on camera? Right. And so those are things that we reference of, trying to make you feel like you're reading it or or at least giving you some movement, some excitement of looking at FBI documentation, which tends to not be the most exciting thing. Yeah, yeah no, it's uh, weird. Do you guys know the uh, the Henny Youngman story about that movie? The uh, Oh, yeah, um, the, the, the one or the, 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 the most take incredible water bottle. And then like every time they get to the end, there's Henny Youngman and he keeps <laughs> blowing his most famous line. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, uh, such, a, such a good one. Um, uh, and Brian, right. are you you gonna you gonna last, walk us out on one? Yep, yep one, one last last on the list. And uh, and to be honest, it was actually kind of a it was hard to pick this last one because there was a tie between a doc project or one of my favorite movies, Children of Men, oh, uh, which yeah, it just tonally is one of the most brilliant movies I think. Uh, that I don't know if it's underrated, but it certainly is one of those movies you could just watch the filmmaking in that, in that movie was incredible. And just the, it feels struggles. like everyone who's seen it loves it and gets it, but it just, it did not get seen by enough people. Yeah. Um, so our technical last one here is the imposter, uh, because the imposter is a documentary film. Oh, but yeah. Okay. Was, um, was, was done a number of years ago and it was one of those first, uh, true, like highly stylized recreation films, and it was done so well. And you, you, like you, you couldn't tell. Hey, is this? Is it the actor, the same person who's playing the? You know, the actual person sitting down and doing the interview. And uh, it was so well done, so well executed, and really, in a lot of ways, uh, one of the first films that we can kind of point to that really elevated the recreation um, format for documentary filmmaking. And, we, you know, we're excited to be, you know, part of that, you know, process of like, hey, how can we, you know, raise the bar? And, you know, we understand that recreations and documentaries aren't for everyone. And, um, and we don't necessarily intend to like do them in every future project we do. Uh, I feel like there was a time though, sort of way back when I remember I was sort of like, you know, much, much younger and sort of reading about documentaries and all this, that, that it was, it was just like, it was a line you do not cross. And, sure. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there's yes. so many things that were just considered like Nanook of the North is a fraudulent film because, and now it's, now it's, you know, the sort of doors are open. It's, um, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I think it's a like, storytelling. I, I, or, you, you don't get any grief for that. Do you? No, yeah. oh, well, I don't yeah, know about grief. A, a little, directly. a little bit, especially on McMillions, but on on this, people have become more accepting of it. But it took a while for people to get past the unsolved mysteries version of of recreations. Right. And uh, right, yes, no offense yeah. to unsolved <laughs> mysteries. Not not the you know, yes, pioneers. Classic. They are pioneers. Yeah. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> much much as uh, much as you guys are, but yeah, I don't think they shot that stuff man anamorphic. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. We've been talking to Brian Lazart and James Lee Hernandez of The Big Con, which is on Apple TV right now. Highly, highly recommended. And and also, like, if, if you're as, as moved as uh, as I was by it, my wife is, um, uh, we'll put some stuff up on the website, too. There's a couple of places you can go to kind of help out the folks who are doing the good work um, of kind of picking up uh, some of the wreckage left behind from this chaotic story. Uh, but yeah, this, this has been absolutely wonderful. Um, really, really appreciate you coming on. Are you, do you what's, do you know what you're doing next? Oh, well, Act, just to say yes or uh, no, because obviously, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> we, yes, uh, <laughs> uh, we, we do. It's, uh, something else that we're, uh, doing with Apple TV plus and, uh, I don't know exactly what it'll be out, but, uh, it's going to be okay. another, and, wild and it's a, doc, a documentary. Yeah. 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 Oh, fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, thank nice. you. Well, good luck with this. Good luck with that. And, and thank you for coming to talk. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Josh, Joe, Joe. Thank you so much. Thanks for being an inspiration for us. Yeah. Thanks, oh,
Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made Stay safe out there, folks. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.